0: This is most certainly true. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. He shines the light of his love into dark places, our world, our lives, our hearts. And his light chases away the darkness of sin and makes us to shine with his glory. And through his saving work, we will rise and shine to live forever in the glory of heaven. Behold the splendor of Jesus' love, In this sermon, recently delivered at Grace. The second reading is from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 12. Apostle Paul had his perspective changed, enabling him to see and to rejoice in the strength that he gained from his God. These words will serve also as the basis for today's sermon. So that Christ's power may rest on me, that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Just like that, a space shuttle makes its way from the launching pad up into the sky and into the atmosphere and beyond. And I think you probably are passingly familiar with the fact that it takes a little bit of power to accomplish such a feat. But I wonder if you know exactly how much power. It takes 12 billion watts. Of energy, 12 billion watts of power to launch the space shuttle with the help of rocket boosters and a gigantic fuel tank to launch a space shuttle up into outer space. To put that unit of measure into different terms, that's 16 million horsepower. Maybe to whittle it down even further into terms that we can understand, a Ford F-150 at full tilt with pedal to the floor exerts about 400 horsepower. So the measure of energy that is needed, the amount of power that is needed is the same as if there were 40,000 F-150s all with pedal to the floor. That's the amount of power that it takes to launch a space shuttle. The LGM-30 Minuteman III is an ICBM, an intercontinental ballistic missile that has quite a bit of power. That warhead is 80,000 pounds, but that doesn't stop it from traveling at a top speed of 15,000 miles per hour. It covers a range of over 6,000 miles. That's a powerful weapon, and it's good to have that weapon on our side. It's missiles like that that help keep our country and its people safe. It's good to have power. It's kind of frustrating when you don't have power. Frustrating when you haven't gotten to a place where you have enough power to do something yet. Maybe even more frustrating when a power is lost. A little boy will go out in the driveway for hours. Even though he's not strong enough, he doesn't have enough muscles in his little legs and arms to get that ball even as high as the hoop sits. But he tosses and catches and tosses and catches. One day... One day he'll be strong enough, one day he'll get it where it will go right over the rim and into the hoop. When we are learning to ride a bike as a child, it can be a frustrating thing to not have enough power. We got the the level down pretty well and slight downhills are, are pretty easy to navigate, but when the hill starts rolling upward, that's when it gets dicey. That's when you've got to have some power and some technique and some strength in your legs. When you're first riding a bike, you're going to end up walking a bike in situations like that until you get enough power. It's frustrating to not have power. Even more frustrating if it's power that is lost. Ask someone whose health is deteriorating. They'll tell you. Ask someone who now it's through great pain that they do simple tasks, tasks that they used to not even think about before, not even bat an eyelash. Now it's great effort and great pain to accomplish a task like that. Ask someone who's now dependent on a walker or a cane or or a wheelchair to get from one place to another. They'll tell you about losing power. Or you could ask the Apostle Paul. He gets pretty personal with us in our second reading for today from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He tells us about an ordeal that he endured, what he did to cope with it, and how God used it to tell him and to say to us, Let me show you real power. In the words that come just before the words that I read to you from the lectern before, we find Paul in a ministry high, really one of the highlights, if not the highlight of his life. God chose to take Paul aside and to give him a great blessing, a blessing unique amongst even the greatest of Christians. God opened his eyes and enabled him to see heaven. God allowed him to see the promised land, Through faith, Paul trusted that he'd have a home there one day. Through the power of the Spirit, the Apostle Paul made that the content of his preaching, preaching heaven won by Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. Heaven was what it was all about, and to encourage Paul, God allowed him to see it. What an awesome blessing, but with that blessing came another gift from God. That explains those opening words from verse 7. Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. I trust that no one in this room needs the reminder that tomorrow is Valentine's Day. I'm sure that's been on your radar for... A number of weeks. I'm sure gifts have already been purchased and are in their hiding places. You don't need to be reminded that you we're less than 24 hours. But maybe I could offer you this encouragement. When you're purchasing those dozen long-stem roses or receiving them as a gift from your sweetheart, be careful where you grab it. You can't just randomly hold out your hand and grab A rose stem. If you do, you'll regret it because there's even a song about it. Every rose has its thorn. If you just randomly grab a rose stem, the thorn will pierce into your flesh, it will start to bleed, it will hurt, and you'll learn a lesson, a valuable lesson, not to do that ever again. What the Apostle Paul describes to us today, though, is a bit more A bigger deal than a Valentine's Day mishap. The word that Paul uses that you see as thorn is actually a word that it means stake or a dagger, a pointed, sharp weapon. He says that that thorn tormented him and the picture behind that word is that it's like he was being punched repetitively in the face. This was a real pain, a real thing that was really there, not some minor annoyance that was more than a splinter or a hangnail. It was not something that a band-aid or a kiss from his mother was going to make go away. This was real pain and it really hurt. That's why Paul called it a messenger of Satan. He felt like this was something that Satan had sent his way to try to stymie his gospel ministry, to try to silence him as he preached the gospel of Jesus. He felt like this problem was the problem from hell and given the choice would have been glad to send it back there. And he thought for sure that God would agree and that's why he prayed that it be taken away. He prayed and he prayed and he prayed. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me but he said My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul thought that the thorn was making him weak. But God said to him, let me show you real power. We don't know for sure what Paul's thorn actually was. And I think The Spirit inspired it to be that way on purpose. Had we been given the precise medical diagnosis of of what that ailment was, if we were told whether it was physical or emotional or psychological that, that Paul was struggling with, then maybe it would be a little bit harder to relate. If we knew exactly what it was, there might be a small segment of people who are struggling with that same thing, but the larger Christian church might gloss over this and not gain from it and so the spirit just keeps it vague so that it can apply to us all what are your thorns what are the ailments of body and of mind that are piercing you what are the things that keep you up in the night the things that maybe even you've prayed that God take away from you they're there We all have them. Those problems that that pierce us day and night. Those struggles that are so painful that we are just convinced are holding us back and making us weak. Those things that we even have prayed that God would take away maybe three times, maybe more. Yet when God chooses not to take it away, we still can hear the words that he speaks to Paul and to us. We can hear him as he says, let me show you real power. My grace is sufficient for you. For the times that we find the worst in others or in ourselves, we have God's grace to cover our sinfulness for the times that we are the thorns in someone else's side because of our selfishness and our pride, God's grace is enough. For the times that we fail to live our lives according to God's guidance and even downright reject his plan for us, even then we have undeserved love. Even then we have God's grace. And we have it in fullest measure. God's grace is sufficient for us because Jesus paid a sufficient price. He paid the full price of our debt, yours and mine, and the sins of the whole world. God's grace is sufficient for us because Jesus paid for every sin. He washes our sins away with his perfect life, he satisfies the law of God. God's grace is sufficient because in him we are washed clean and made holy in his sight. God's grace is sufficient for you because Jesus suffered in your place and in mine. It's sufficient because a crown of thorns pierced down into Jesus' scalp. It's sufficient because the pain of pokey nails went into his hands and feet. God's grace is sufficient because he endured the piercing pains of abandonment and rejection, everything that should have been your fate, everything that I had come in Christ, Jesus paid, not because we deserved it, but because it's his grace. God's grace is sufficient for you. Jesus endured the worst so that we could have the best and the fullest of his love. But the show of power had only just begun Jesus lay there lifeless in a borrowed tomb, and God said, Let me show you real power. And he raised Jesus up from the dead. He raised him up triumphant in victory, victory over sin and death, victory that he's willing and eager to share, victory that is now ours. Our enemies defeated. A promise of our own resurrections and life everlasting in heaven is ours. Christ Jesus did those things for the world and then we come onto the scene. We are born blind to his mercy and ignorant of his love and God says, let me show you real power. And he shows us Jesus. Unable to come to him, unable to believe in him on our own, God says, let me show you real power and he throws open the door of our hearts. And he dwells within us powerfully with his spirit. He makes our bodies temples of his Holy Spirit. If you'd like to see real power, look at your baptism. Look at what God does with a weak bowl of water. Look at what happens when he connects weak water with powerful gospel promises. Faith is created. A family grows. Hope is granted. Confidence restored. Heaven's doors are thrown open. That's real power. And when the challenges of life get to be a lot to bear, when we're feeling pretty weak, hear God say, let me show you real power. Listen to the words of power and love that our Savior speaks over weak bread and simple wine. When he says, this is my body, This is my blood given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Heaven is yours, my friends, because God shows real power. There are plenty of crosses that we must bear, trials that we must face. Life is hard, and it hurts. And at times we might feel like giving up, but my friends, don't. Lose heart. God's grace is sufficient for you. When you feel insignificant, small, and weak, open your ears to God's powerful words of promise. Hear the words that He speaks to you. Your sins are forgiven, your life is restored. Hope is now yours. Your future is bright because you have a place in the mansions of heaven. Open your eyes as God takes you to a mirror and says, Let me show you real power. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. In our weaknesses, God's might shines brighter. In our frailties, his strength reigns. When we are weak, God shows us his power and his love he uses us just how we are and just with the gifts that he's given and then he fills in the gaps we tend to dwell on the things that we don't have our sinful natures filled with jealousy over someone else's gifts over a lack of self-confidence but christ jesus has made us to be just who we are and put us just where we are for his good purpose he knows exactly what we need. He knows how best to bless us. He sets us up and then through us he shines. Through you he shines and his name is glorified. Through us God's will is done. He sets us free to live for him and then walks with us every step of the way so that we can bring him glory and honor with our lives. We don't need to be discontented. We don't need to dwell on what we don't have, but rather we can rejoice in what we have. That's what the Apostle Paul does, and and we can do it too. Let's join him in boasting about exactly who God has made us to be. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What good does it do us to see in ourselves something that God does not see? Because only what he sees, only his viewpoint matters. In you, God sees perfection. In you, God sees a value. In you, God shows his real power. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about God's grace, or to support the work that we do to proclaim the love of Jesus in Milwaukee and around the world, visit www.gracedowntown.org. This grace is for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace.